I was about to say good morning. Good afternoon. I think we're officially across that, that threshold. But good afternoon. Uh, we'll, go, we'll go ahead and get started. I'm sure uh, there's a possibility some more people may trickle in. Uh, if you have to step out, those sort of things, do your thing. But uh, we'll go ahead and get this rolling. That way uh, we can get the most out of we can out of this class. Uh, hopefully as God, I allow God to communicate through me some things he shared with me and uh, hopefully that you guys can, can learn along with me with as well. And uh, we're not only enjoy the class, but enjoy the rest of this family occasion that we have together. So uh, I guess very, very briefly, if you, if you don't um, know who I am or we haven't had a chance to meet yet, uh, my name is Dimitri Lewis and uh, I am a part of um, Crossway Church. So what we are, are we are we're the latest, the baby of the church plants from the Crossings Church family up uh, in the Midwest, Missouri area. And so we are planted in Columbia, Missouri. Um, as of about the first or second week of December this past holiday season, that marked two years for us of being out there and just watching God do amazing things um, in our hearts and in, in our group, but also through us to be able to see other people's lives change as well. And we look forward to so much more of that. Um, so as you guys saw on, on the sheet, um, probably a big, a big reason maybe me, many of you are even in this room are because of uh, the title of this class, right? Prejudice. And um, wanting to be able to hear more about that um, because it really is, as we look out in our world, right? Um, it definitely is something that is undeniable. Um, not only uh, the prejudice itself being undeniable, but the impact and the effects that it has on our world, both on a larger scale as we walk out of our doors, but I think even within our own homes and our lives, right? We feel the weight and the impacts of that. And hopefully, like God, we desire for something to be different, that there's hope that lies somewhere that that can change for us and it can change for others in our world. I want to start off um, we this entire weekend, and I've loved uh, the overarching thing that we have, dream on, right? And talking about God's dream, our destiny, and seeing those two things connect. God's dreams for us becoming a reality. And um, being able to hear from the keynote speakers and the other classes over and over and over again, getting to catch these wonderful glimpses of God's dream and what that looks like for us and for others. I want to start this class by reading um, one of those that we get in scripture. And it's actually um, in the book of Revelation, right? That pretty much gives us, it shows us, hey, we don't have to, we don't have to fear as chaotic and as crazy as things can feel in this world. Um, we, we don't need to be numb to it and just kind of hide our heads in the sand, so to speak. But at the same time, we can also have hope that we know how the story ends if we just remain faithful, right? And, and we cling to Christ and his words. And so a beautiful picture that we get of God's dream um, is in Revelation chapter 5, verses 1 through 10. Hold this up for you. Uh, Revelation chapter 5, verses 1 through 10. And it, it reads... Then I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside it. I wept and wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or look inside. Then one of the elders said to me, do not weep. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. 
Then I saw a lamb, looking as if it had been slain, standing at the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. The lamb had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the world. He went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. Each one had a harp and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of God's people. And then listen to this. And they sang a new song saying, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain. And with your blood, you purchased for God, per, uh, purchased for God persons from every nation and tribe and language. Excuse me, I'll go back. You purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God and they will reign on the earth. Sorry for that little bit of mess up towards the end, but I hope it didn't ruin your picture um, as hopefully your mind, your imagination, right? Got to trying to do the best that we can uh, with what God has given us to put pictures to those words from God's word of what heaven is going to be like, right? One day when there's no more crying, no more tears, none of that stuff, God makes it all right. He says, this is going to be a picture of what that looks like of people of all kinds being able to be with God and to be with each other and worshiping him and serving him together, right? It's beautiful, isn't it? As you, as you sit and you listen to it, you think about it. And I know it's beautiful to me and it makes my heart leap and with, with joy and anticipation. You know, and yet I, I think about kind of also feeling, um, I feel like I can relate to at first some of those feelings at the beginning of the passage where the person is looking around at the state and they go, man, this stinks, right? This is sad where things are on this, in the state that we're in. And what, where do we go from here? What can be done about it? Who's going to rescue us from this? And um, as beautiful as that picture is of looking at heaven and, 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 and what God wants it to be like for his people. Um, and really, by the way, before I move any further, we need to understand that in order for God's dream, and, uh, dream to become a reality for heaven to look that way, where people from every nation and tribe and tongue and of all kinds are going to be there and we're going to be there with them. We have to decide now today, individually and collectively as churches and as ministries, that we're going to allow that to be done here on earth as God seeks for it to be done in heaven. Right. We need that to be done here today, right now, in order to connect with that tomorrow and into, into eternity. But the reality is, guys, um, the sad reality is that for so many uh, Christians or at least people that call themselves disciples and representatives of God, so many churches that claim that they're preaching and they're living out God's message, you walk into their building's doors, you're among their ministries, you're in their homes, and you see anything but what it is that we read, God says, is his dream for his people and for his church, right? Um, I don't know if you guys uh, know this, you, uh, feel free to look it up sometime, but this is MLK Jr. Weekend, right? 
Uh, we, it's really cool. We, we tend to have family vacation. On. It sits around MLK Junior Holiday Weekend every year. Um, and so I'm reminded of some of the progress and the changes that, I, that, that even people like Martin Luther King and Rosa Parks and the Civil Rights Movement and so many other people in our world across history, well before I was even a thought, <laughs> and my mom and my dad, um, you know, a twinkle in their eye, there have been people that have, in one way or another, they've caught a vision, they've caught a dream likened to God's that, hey, things need to be different in our world. Things need to be different in our lives and in our neighborhoods and in our communities because the way it is now is not how it's meant to stay and it doesn't honor God. Um, one of the things that MLK is famous for saying other than the, I have a dream, <laughs> um, is this quote here. And he was talking about during that time, this is back in like the 1960s, right? So over 50 years ago and maybe even in some now. But this is what he said about the state of the churches even then when he was living, that 11 a.m. Sunday morning is the most segregated hour in America. Now, as I say that, right, um, maybe you can see why a little more fleshed out why I said that as I read that um, Revelation 5 passage that I, I feel the hope, I feel the anticipation and the joy and excitement, and yet at the same time, I also feel the weight of the reality uh, of the guy that said, man, I look at the sad state of where we are now and how far off it is from what God envisions. And I believe that what MLK Jr. said there, right, that over 50 something years later, all of us can look at the state of so many of the churches in America still and can say the same thing that they're still just as segregated as they were then and ever. Um, I don't know if you, know, you guys have heard about the Barna research group or uh, research groups like that, but there are ones that are out there and these are people that are committed, right, to again, helping God and helping his church move in the direction that he desires to live out his will. Um, some of the things that they research, right, um, that, that have to do with the, the dynamics and the makeup of um, the, the, the individual face of Christians, but also collective church groups and how they're doing, how, um, well, yeah, how they're doing. And so one of the things that they were able to find, and you, again, you can spend your own time doing this research to um, verify what it is that I'm saying, but it's crazy that I was able to see one source after another, one source after another, that they all seem to point to the same thing, which is that whether we all realize it or not, Eight to nine out of 10 churches here in America are made up of single race groups. They're made up of one ethnicity, right? In other words, here's another way that I guess just put it out there that it said, I go to an all white church or I go to an all black church or I go to the all Hispanic church or all Asian church in my city or in my region, right? And those are all over the place, all over the place. We have them back there in Columbia. Um, I, just to tell you a little bit about myself and my kind of my church background, um, my family, we, we grew up always, you know, claiming the Christian faith, right? And that we were Christians and we were followers of God and things like that. And I remember having a lot of uh, great grandparents and some of those of my older generation that they really heavily clung to their faith and to wanting to desire to live for God and to please him. 
And one of the things that I remember them doing was from the young of us, the youngest of us kids, <laughs> all the way to our moms, our aunts, our uncles, they're, they're getting the switch and they're hitting everybody out of bed going, hey, we're going to church. I'm not just going to church. Y'all are coming with me, right? We're going to be a family. We're going to be a household that we go to church. You know, and I, I man, I thought that was always cool. Um, I moved around a lot also, though. So a lot of my distant relatives um, along the way, I ended up kind of having some disconnections from, if you will, throughout my, my years of growing up. And so I really kind of got to see a lot of them. Um, those relationships were very, very hard to maintain as I lived in this city here on the East Coast or in the South. And then now, next thing you know, I'm out West in LA or in Burbank or Pasadena or places like that. Um, in Alabama, you know, if you heard uh, in the keynote, that RJ was doing earlier, Nate mentioned how he met, he and his family met me there in Alabama when I was attending Alabama A&M. But um, I just say all that to say that I, I look back across that and I'll share with you guys that when my family and I did go to church, um, which I would say looking back, uh, at least from my perspective, was not on a consistent basis week to week and, and things like that. Um, maybe not even every month that we went. It kind of was just a, we were there when we were there if that makes sense. <laughs> um, but one thing I also remember is that probably all except for m maybe, m maybe one or two, um, pretty much all of those that I remember going to were full of people that looked exactly like me. Right? They were, they were all black churches. Um, we, we all liked singing the same worship music and, and the style of that. Um, I remember everybody there in that culture is like, you know, in, in, in the black churches that I grew up in, in those communities a lot of times, everybody has to put on their Sunday best, right? And so you're looking fly as ever every time you're walking up in there and so is everybody else next to you. Um, but all kinds of things like that, right? And so I remember growing up in that culture that that was what I came up at least in a little sense knowing of what church is. This is what church looks like. This is what church is about. And it wasn't until I got older and I um, started pursuing God and a faith for my own self, right? Developing a faith of my own and of course receiving help from many people that God put in my life um, along the way and being able to do that. And the cool thing is that although I started off coming up as a kid around church environments that only had people just like me, when I began pursuing God for myself, the people that God brought to help nurture that faith and to help disciple me and help show me him and show me the way and his mission, those were often people that did not look like me. They did not look like me. And so fast forward, you know, you get to, you get to hear, like I said, being on a church plant in Columbia, Missouri, and um, very much so like what we see this weekend. And I hope it's the same with the churches that you guys are plugged to and you're involved in as well. But it's beautiful, right? When you have the late night party like RJ was talking about last night, or you have the different activities, you have these classes we're sitting in. And so this weekend at this retreat, guys, I believe we are being able to see something that does very closely resemble. Um, and hopefully it's continuing that direction to resemble what God desires for his church to be like, just like it is going to be in heaven, right? Where it is people coming from every nation, tribe, and tongue, and language. And yet the reality is when we go back home into a lot of the communities and the cities and states that we're in, most people are not about that. Most people aren't about that. 
right? And so the, the, that remains that we have to decide what it is we're going to do with all of that. Mm. So here's where I want to start, okay? Here's where I want to start with our first point. In order to truly be able to do something about that and allow God's dream for us and his church to be realized in and through us, um, the first thing that we need to, the first truth that we need to realize about prejudice is I cannot be prejudiced and be like Jesus. I can't be prejudiced and be like Jesus. So if you look all throughout scripture, both Old and Testament, um, front cover to back cover, um, starting in the Old Testament, right? You see the you see the God of the Bible of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob there. And um, one of the things that you'll notice is he often talks about his view of partiality and favoritism and being biased towards one group of people versus another. All right. And one thing that we we see there is that God, his character, is counter counter and contrary to showing favoritism. Right. It says over and over, God does not show favoritism. God is not partial. And so I'm going to read you guys a couple of verses, right, that the Bible shows us that. In Leviticus 19, verse 15, it says, do not pervert justice. Do not show partiality to the poor or favoritism to the great, but judge your neighbor fairly. Leviticus chapter 19, verse 34, just a few verses later, says, the foreigner residing among you must be treated as your native born. Love them as yourself. For you were foreigners in Egypt. God speaking to his, his people Israel at that time, right? You yourself were foreigners. I am the Lord your God. Romans chapter 2, verses 9 through 11. It says, there will be trouble and distress for every human being who does evil. First for the Jew, then for the Gentile. But glory, honor, and peace for everyone who does good. First for the Jew, then for the Gentile. For God does not show favoritism, right? And so in his judgment, his judgments are always right and they're always fair. And there's not a hint of bias in it. And then finally, 2 Chronicles, verses 19, verse 7. Speaking God, it says, he appoints, he appoints judges in the land and each of the fortified cities of Judah. He told them, consider carefully what you do, because you are not judging for mere mortals, but for the Lord, who is with you whenever you give a verdict. Now let the fear of the Lord be on you. Judge carefully, for with the Lord our God, there is no injustice or partiality or bribery. So those are just a handful of verses, and we could sit there, and I'm sure we could find dozens more, right? Uh, over and over, God, God is drilling this in. This is not a part of my character, and this is not what I call my people to be about either, right? The interesting thing, right, is so often you have people that want to debate that God was one way in the Old Testament, and now all of a sudden we have Jesus the Son, and he's different than what we see in God the Father. Wrong, right? Wrong. It doesn't take a rocket science to figure that out. And so a really cool thing is that we see consistency between what those verses and what God was telling his people back then to when we see God in the flesh living among us in the person of Jesus Christ, right? And if you look at the, the ministry and the life of Jesus and the people that he went out to reach and to touch and to, to spend time with and to heal and all those things, what sort of people were those? Okay, sinful people for sure, right? But if, what's that? Excluded. 
Okay, yes. The, the excluded people, the outcast, the downtrodden. Very good. Oh, <laughs> okay. Yeah, and so that, if I can, that would hint to crossing racial barriers, right? Even among groups that saw themselves as sworn enemies. Um, Jesus himself was a Jewish man, and like, yet, like you said, right, he's going out and he's talking to Samaritans and he's talking to people from all these other nations outside of his own culture, right? Uh, how about this one? Was he just in a culture, um, and even in our world in many cases, this still ends up being the case for so many people, but they're only willing to associate, associate and talk to um, people of their own gender, right? And so uh, in many ways, it can be described that we've lived over time and throughout history in male-dominated societies. And during that time, you saw that in one way, um, a, a woman was kind of looked down upon by so many of those men in those societies. And so they didn't associate women, with women, right? They didn't want to hear anything about what they had to say. And yet Jesus, God in the flesh, he spent time with those women just as much as he did the men. He loved them just as equally as he did the men, right? And the other way around. And so for us, we have to ask ourselves though, right? So we see that with Jesus. We see that with the Father, but how about us? We want to say that, hey, Jesus is Lord and Master, and I'm following you. I'm your disciple. I'm helping build your kingdom in your church. And yet, if I can't be prejudiced or racist and be like Jesus, guys, I think that starts us down the path of having to recognize that, yes, prejudice and racism and bigotry and all those things are very present in our world, right? Where is it present, though? Where is it present? And is it maybe present in our own churches and in our own lives and in our own hearts? And I would say that if we get real about that, that what we begin to realize is the sad truth, the ugly truth, is that it's more true than maybe we would like to give lend credence to. It is. Um, and yet, as long as that remains and we allow it to remain, it's very much so like Jesus said in his words in, um, I believe it's Luke 14, where he says, you know, if you don't meet these certain conditions or you're not willing to choose to be this way and make these sort of choices, you cannot be my disciple. And I believe included in one of those is, again, like that first point says, if you're not willing to get serious about the prejudice and the racism and bigotry that may be residing in your own heart and your own ministries and your own churches, then you cannot truly follow Jesus. You cannot truly be a part of his church that he's trying to build, right? Because his church is not about any of those things. Give me a second to find my place. I got a little off track. <laughs> Appreciate it, bro. So um, really quickly, I want to give you guys a couple other verses um, along when we were talking about, again, we look at the person of Christ and we look at his ministry and the people that he chose to reach out to. And they're across all these different groups, some of which you guys named, right? And so here's some places where we see that. Listen to Jesus' words about his ministry and about his heart. In Luke 14, verses 13 to 14, he says, but when you give a banquet, invite who? Oh, man, I'm going to invite my mom and my dad and all my homies and my girls. And 
I'm just going to stick to my little circle right here, right? My, my people. I'm like, my people. Well, that's not what he says here, right? He says, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. Um, and so obviously, um, Jesus is not saying, hey, you can't invite your homies and your girlfriends and your mom and dad and family members, right? But if it's just going to be your relatives, it's just going to be those people, and you're neglecting the poor, you're neglecting the outcasts, you're neglecting the handicapped or some of these group peoples that he was talking about here, then you're off base. You're off base, and you're not following the ministry model that Jesus set for us. Um, do you guys remember the story about the Jesus talking to the Roman centurion? Guys, remember that? You can nod your head yes or no if, if you know what I'm talking about. No? Okay. Well, so it's basically where the guy is coming to Jesus, right? And he has a family member who's sick. Okay. <laughs> he has a... Well, and I, I, guess, I guess I should have explained a little more, my, um, my bad, because I just thought about it. There are several Roman centurions that are mentioned in Scripture, so thank you. <laughs> but yeah, so the particular story, right, in the account where he's talking to this Roman centurion, and the guy comes to him, and he's like, hey, I know that you're a man of authority, right? I'm a man of authority in a sense myself, and I have people under me. When I tell them to do this, they go and they do it, right? And so he recognizes the authority of Christ. And he believes and has faith enough in him that although he and nobody else could do anything to help his, his son, this Jesus could. Right? And so does Jesus come to him? He, he understands and assesses the situation and goes, yeah, no, sorry. No, no, no. You're, uh, you're one of the oppressors. You belong to the oppressing group that, that, that is sitting here and they're mistreating the culture of people that I come from and that I was born into. Can't help you. Won't help you. It's not, long story short, how, how that story goes, right? We see that Jesus recognizes the faith of this guy. In fact, it says that he was amazed at this man's faith. And even proclaims and says that he had not found faith that great, even in Israel. Amazing, right? And because of that faith, that guy was able to see healing happen within his home. And so Jesus didn't exclude even the oppressed. And that might, you know, you look back across our world, you look even specifically within American history, and again, racism and prejudice and a lot of those things, it has brought about, and I think in many cases, um, it's, it's still chaining a lot of us to the very ugly history in America with slavery and different things like that, racial division that has happened a long time. And you have so many of us generations later that are still, still stuck in that, right? Still stuck in those habits and those patterns, still hurting one another, still dividing ourselves from another because of those things. And one of the reasons that you have a lot of people, um, at least again within the black community, right? One of the hangups they want to have about that is they want to hold on to the hurts that make them angry, they make them sad, they make them feel some type of way because of how my people was treated back then, right? And there's a lot that be can be said on that, right? And I think even some of what the points that we're going to try to cover in this class, if I can make sure I get to them, um, it's, it's going to lend itself to that, that we don't excuse any of those things, right? The hurts and, and the anger and all that sort of stuff that is there attached to those sort of things. But it doesn't have to be where we have to stay and it's not meant 
for us to stay there. God's dream is for us to be able to move past those things, right? As individual people, as collective groups of people, and as a, as a nation and a world together. Um, and then lastly, in Luke chapter 15, you have the parable of the, of the lost sheep, right? Right before that, in verses 1 and 2, says that in that gathering, now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. And so we see the religious leaders of his day, the people that everyone was supposed to look to, to teach them about God and to show them the way. And yet, what were the Pharisees and sinners showing through their example and the way that they lived and how they treated people? They weren't showing the heart of God. They were pushing their own agendas. And we have people today, maybe even including us, that we can do the very same thing under the guise of we're serving God. You're not serving God, you're serving you. And you're serving your own purposes. So the first thing, right, that the first truth we need to realize is I cannot be prejudiced and be like Jesus. The second is we all have forces influencing us to be prejudiced. And so I talked again, I shared a little bit already about um, what my, my church upbringing has been like, right, um, or, or my spiritual journey. And very early on, so much of that um, was very strongly influenced of, again, seeing it through um, strictly a black lens, so to speak. Um, what does that look like for you guys? You know, and you have to necessarily answer, because um, that would take a long time for us to do that adequately with each of you being able to speak out loud, right? But I just want you to think where you're at. What does that look like for you? Because again, for so many people, like uh, I said, that, that Barner Group research statistic shows, for so many people, it's very similar. That they, they've only grown up in a strictly black church or a strictly white church or you name it. And guys, that can harm, it can taint our ability to be able to see as God truly wants us to see. Um, I remember, I wanted to share this with you guys, but I remember when uh, I was going to Alabama and m an HBCU um, down in Huntsville, Alabama. Again, it's where I met Mackie Shedd, who was and became my campus minister and mentor in the faith during that time. He's the one person that studied the Bible with me and helped me to become a Christian. And um, I remember uh, the, the church congregation that we were a part of down there that was reaching uh, not only our campus, but they were reaching um, a predominantly white institutions campus as well um, and some of the other community colleges and universities that were there locally right so kids of all kinds on these campuses but I remember at the HBCU right all black campus so good luck finding <laughs> good finding good luck finding a lighter skinned person there if you catch my drift and um, I remember we would reach a lot of these uh, other black students like myself and we would try to bring them to um, Central Church of Christ um, was the congregation that, that we were, the campus ministry was out of at that time. And um, obviously when they came there, this was a group of people that, thank God, were committed to reaching others that didn't look like them. And, uh, and I was among that. But long story short, we would bring a lot of these students in there that had a similar upbringing that I did. And uh, very quickly, they would be turned off. And they would say, yeah, no, I can't, I can't keep going to that church. That's a white church, right? Or I just can't get with that, and I, I, I can't worship with them. We don't worship. We, 
we can't we can't worship God together, right? Because we just don't worship the same. And I don't like the way they worship. And that the way that they're singing and all those sort of things, yeah, that's not how I was brought up to sing and to worship God. And we would hear that over and over again with these young guys and gals. And so for so many of my friends, I was sad to be able to see that they remained apart from being able to seek after God with a whole heart because their traditions and their upbringing was more important to them than, than where God was trying to lead them and the dream that he was trying to bring to fulfillment in their lives and in their faith. Uh, so catch, we all have forces influencing us to be, to be prejudiced, right? And so as you think about that, whether that's within your, your own home, as, as you sit and if you have kids, um, you know, some of you guys in here, or you have peers, um, if you're still in the campus ministry or you're in a teen, teen ministry if you're a teen in here, but you'll often see that on these college campuses and in these teen high schools and middle schools that you talk to these kids and you'll hear that from the teachers and what are being taught in the classroom, there's an agenda being pushed Right? And, and so they can tell you if you let them a lot of the different things that are being pushed into their minds of what to believe about things like racial, uh, race, racial relations and certain things that are going on in our world and how to treat people that are, uh, that are in this group or in, this, in that group, what to do with this issue or that issue. But not just from the teachers, right? You have within their, their, their little friendship groups, if you will. Well, man, my friend told me this, or they told me that. And so you have that at school. You have social media, which we're all constantly connected to, or, or at least the, the internet and the media. We're all able to constantly be able to be connected to through our phones, through our laptops, through all these electronic devices. And guess what? Loads of information of all kinds, including the toxic and un un ungodly kind, we're able to be exposed to that constantly over and over and over again, right? Um, and so you have our home, you have the media and technology and the world pushing it through that. You have in our educational systems. Guys, it's everywhere. It's everywhere, right? And sadly, unfortunately, again, it's infiltrating into the church. It has in the past and it is continuing to do that because we're unwilling to, we're unwilling to recognize the true danger of that. I think another reason, not only are we not only willing to recognize it again out there and that those influences are present, but that they have had influence on us. So often you can have people that they look in, if, I, if they were accused of being prejudiced or being racist, right, that they would say, no, I love everybody. I treat everybody the same. And yet if you were able to take a good look at their life, the people that they choose to hang around and their relationships, would it reflect that? Would it reflect that? Um, I, I, I've seen some of this, this, this nonsense, I heard it um, back home and from some of the places where I, communities where I've grown up in. Um, I've seen it on the internet or in interviews and things like this, and maybe you guys have as well, but things that are represented like in this one TikTok that I saw from a, 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 a fellow African-American. Um, she was a young lady, right? And she basically wanted to set the record straight for the world. And she's like, hey, so for all of you Caucasian people out there, right? I just want you to know, and for the rest of the world for that matter, if you're on looking, we want you to know that Caucasian people can be racist and they can be prejudiced, but it's impossible for me as a black person. We as black people, we can't. We can't be prejudiced. 
impossible, right? And, uh, and so I don't know how that, how that hits you as you, you, you guys hear that, but I think more of us, more oftentimes than not, if we're not careful, she is basically saying really what a lot of us reflect in our own hearts and our lives and things like that in our dealings with people, that we think, oh, me? Because I belong to this group or because I'm this way or whatever the case may be. Yeah, no, 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 no. I can't, I can't be prejudiced. I'm not racist against other people. Right? I don't treat people differently and have uneven scales. But maybe you do and you just haven't realized it yet. And God is trying to give us all a shock to wake us up and to realize it and to be able to do something about it. Listen to this here. In 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 7, it says, But the Lord told Samuel, Don't look at his appearance or how tall he is, because I have rejected him. God does not see as humans see. Humans look at outward appearances, but the Lord looks into the heart. Right? And so even from just what that, in those, those short sentences there, God is making it clear that he has one set of standards of how he views people and what he uses as his standard of how he is going to treat people. But we're so unlike him, guys, naturally, right? It's almost second nature for us as human beings to decide that we're going to look on the outside. I'm going to base how I treat somebody on how they look, what the color of their skin is, uh, whether they're male or female, right? How much money they make and what clothes they're wearing, what kind of car they're driving and how much money they make. And we make all of these snap judgments based off of those things. Um, I maybe should have, you know, leading up here on our way to, uh, to this retreat, maybe checked in a little better. Um, long story short, I wanted to be able to show you guys this video that I stumbled across um, as I was putting this lesson together. And man, it spoke a lot to me. And I think it speaks to this point, And I think it'd be helpful for all of us. But maybe later today or on your own time, when you get back home at some point, I want you to write the name of this, this book, uh, this book the, the name of this video down. And I want you guys to pull it up, all right? You can pull it up on YouTube. But the title of it is, What Judgments Do You Make? <laughs> um, I will. I will remind me of that about that. I'll look that up uh, at the end, um, end of the class. But it's what judgments do you make? And then uh, right after that, it has a, an addition part of the title that says reverse assumptions. Okay, what judgments do you make? Reverse assumptions. And so anyway, what you'll see, uh, I'll give you a little precursor. What you'll see as you watch that video is they end up partnering all these different, uh, different people together, right? So um, I think a lot of them are like teenagers or young people. And um, I don't know, there's maybe a pairing of five or six different you know, people together. And what they have them doing is they're sitting in this room. They have not seen each other at all yet, okay? And so they're sitting their chairs back to back facing the opposite direction, and they begin to have a conversation with one another. And they're asking questions like, um, so what kind of stuff do you like? What are your hobbies? And, you know, and somebody may be like, well, I, you know, I like to um, listen to rap music, and I, I like to play video games, and um, I'm into sports and all this different sort of stuff. 
I, I like eating chicken, blah, 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 right? And so they all were kind of giving these sort of answers to these questions and gathering information. And so by the end of it, they end up giving a verdict of, okay, so tell us based off of your information, your perception of what this person looks like and who they are, right? And uh, it's, it's very, very uh, interesting. It's kind of funny as you watch them, the reality of when they finally see who the person is after making their judgment, they go, I'm guessing you're like um, a 16, 16 years old, you're a white girl with uh, straight blonde hair <laughs> and blah, 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 blah. And, uh, and yet they turn around and they see that's not who they're looking at. Right? They look, they look into the eyes of maybe a Middle Eastern young, young lady. And so she looks nothing like what they had pictured in their heads. Guys, I think the same thing happens with a lot of us. We make all of these snap judgments about people without really getting to know them. Really, really getting to know them. And so hopefully, our heart, uh, hopefully your heart will be blessed by watching that as, as we continue to move forward into this. But those are the two things that I wanted to point out of two truths that we need to recognize, right? Is the first that I cannot be like Jesus and be prejudiced. And the second thing is that we all have forces, or, uh, forces that are influencing us. But where do we go from there? All right, and I want to give us a couple things. One is we get real about the prejudices. Um, I get real about my own prejudices and call others to do the same. Matthew chapter 5, verses 3 through 5 says, Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, Let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye and then you will be able to see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. And so again, like we've been saying, right? God, God calls us, Christ calls us to be on mission to seek and to save the lost across all barriers and all groups, right? No matter what people look like or where they come from. And yet guys, we can sit right in our heart of hearts and say that we desire that we want to follow him and go out and try to save lost people. But if you're anything like me and your experience has been anything like mine, I think we begin to realize before too long down the road that it gets pretty difficult to do that when you're hanging on to these biases that we have there, right? And you're trying to figure out and weigh within yourself who's deserving of being reached and being saved. You're gonna have a hard time being able to change the world in that way, right? So really quick, I wanna to try to zip through this one, but I wanna share a story of how I had to cross one of those barriers in, in my life, even across, uh, that is aside from racial barriers. So I got a chance to work at a Christ-centered recovery center for men. And uh, they were trying to recover from addictions to drugs and alcohol. And I remember beforehand um, apprehension for myself and even being fed by, you know, some of my family where they were very uncomfortable with the idea. And they're like, wait, no, no, you can't go with them. Those, we know what intentions those type of people are going to have, right? And we want to keep you safe. And, and on one end, I know that it was, I believe it was coming from a genuine place, right? Out of, out of love in a sense that my, my parents and, and my, my family and people, they were worried about me and they want to make sure their boy's okay, right? And yet I think that they just had predetermined that, man, you go to that place and all those people are going to be dangerous. They're all going to be looking there the first chance they can to steal all your stuff and to harm you and to do something to you. And yet when I got there, Fast forward after working there for some time, I made some lifelong friendships with some guys that I otherwise wouldn't have. 
on the other end of it, when I first got there, they, they gave me a really hard time at first, guys. <laughs> um, I was one of the residential managers and I was um, helping upkeep and maintain the things there. I got to teach some of the, some of the classes with them and um, just build a relationship. And yet at first, a lot of them, again, were apprehensive to want to do that because they're like, hey, you don't belong here. What are we going to be able to get from you? What are you going to be able to teach us? You can't relate. You don't know the struggle. And yet both they and I were able to find out when we gave room for God to work. We were able to find that we had more alike than what we realized. And we were blessed in our hearts and in our lives beyond what we could have imagined because we allowed ourselves to let go of the prejudices that we had had even against one another and we allowed God's love and truth to shine through. So the first thing is I need to get real about my own prejudices and call others to do the same. The second thing is I need to com commit slash recommit to building the church Jesus died for. So again, we need to all remember, simply put, that it's not about you and it's not about me. It's about Jesus. It's all about him, right? And he is the one. It's his church. It's not the pastor's church. It's not mom's church. It's not dad's church. It's not my church. It's Jesus' church. And he's the one that died and shed his blood for it. Right? And so he gets to decide what it's going to be like. And we either decide we're going to be a part of it and we're going to sign up to the mission that he has assigned to that church, or we don't. And go do something else and leave his name out of it. But let's not drag him into our mess, is, right? Where we want to try to put holy and, and cutesy words to things that are dishonoring to his name. Listen to this here. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 through 18 says, Therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who called themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands, Remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you, were, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he, Christ himself, is our, our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away, and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access to the Father by one spirit. And so guys, simply put, and I'll move on to the third and last point and get us out of here, but simply put, that second point, we need to just understand, simply put, that it's not okay for any of us to settle for anything less than Christ's dream for what his church is to be. It's just not okay. And again, we, we maybe come out of and we have, we're going to have to fight against and work through some of those influences that may come from fam, family circles and backgrounds and communities that a lot of us are, are maybe connected to that are not committed to that and building that church but building their church or some other church we got to decide which one is going to be guys right and so my hope is that we all will be committed or choose to recommit to building jesus's kingdom and building his church and here's the third and last thing is that we need to continually gain 
and share understanding. And so I think one of the places that we go wrong so often, again, is not only do we make those snap judgments, but in that lack of continual lack of understanding, we just kind of go out and we just spout off things and run our mouths, right? And I think even in the best of intentions, we can end up doing more harm than good because we haven't done the homework prior to, right? We haven't allowed God uh, to take us as we sit at the feet of Jesus and he teaches us. He teaches us how to love. He teaches us how to share truth in the way that's going to benefit people and bring about change and transformation. It's going to bring about the tearing down of those walls instead of allowing people to bring those back up, right? Um, really quickly, you know, I shared this one with you guys as well, but last night after all of the festivities, right before the party, we go to a McDonald's to grab some dinner, right? And uh, some, a couple of my teenage boys are with me. There was this, this uh, mom and her daughter that were sitting there in the lobby waiting for food as well. So it's just us and them, all right? Well, the food comes out onto the counter and the guy you know, says, hey, here's some fries and a milkshake. Well, one of my students, without paying enough attention, he goes up and he grabs it, all right? He grabs the wrong shake. It, he ordered a chocolate shake, it was a vanilla shake. Um, and so he's thinking maybe, well, hey, they just got the order wrong or whatever, I'll just take it. He starts sipping on it and then eventually he comes over and he talks to me, he goes, hey, uh, I think they got our order wrong. I said, no, actually, buddy, I said, I think that belongs to that mom and her daughter over there. And so really quickly without thinking, and again, I think he had the best of intentions, but he rushes over and he goes, excuse me, um, I didn't realize it until just now, but this is your shake. Here you go. I, I only take a, took a couple of sips out of it, you know? And so I, luckily I was right there to be able to help, but I was like, Oh, I was like, no, 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 buddy, it's okay, it's okay. And so we finished working through and I explained to them what had happened and all that sort of stuff because you could just see the lady, she just like closed off and was cring cringing. Uh, no, <laughs> you know, and so she and her daughter was very uncomfortable. He right away, I think, got embarrassed and walls went up. And so from there, it kind of for a few moments, we're in the lobby just all sitting there silent. Well, well eventually, guess what happens before we all leave? We were able to come back together and the woman you know, goes, hey, I just wanna apologize if it seemed like I came across a certain way. I don't want you to think that I acted that way because of like who you are and how you look or in that sort of stuff. She goes, you just kind of caught me off guard. you know." And we were able to say from our end, hey, yeah, we're sorry too. We kind of just rushed in it. It was a misunderstanding and we wanted to try to fix it, but we didn't want to make you uncomfortable, right? But when we were able to have those conversations and understand kind of why we all reacted and made the choices initially that we made, we were able to reach unity, right? We were able to find peace through that. And I think so often we don't allow ourselves to be able to do that across racial lines, right? Or across um, other type of barriers that are there in our world, whether it be economic status or across gender lines or things like that. Let's just seek to understand first before being understood, right? And then as we commit ourselves to that growth process continually, the things that we understand ourselves, let us go out and share that understanding as God gives us the opportunity with other people, right? And I, th I think through greater understanding is going to come greater healing. Really quickly, um, this is the verse I want to give you guys for that, and then we'll end. James chapter 1, verses 19 and 20 says, My dear brothers and sisters, Take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry, because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. And uh, I just want to end. I'm just going to read through this, all right, as we close. I, I think, you know, um, it's very fitting, especially on a hard topic like this, and trying to sort through it and figure out what, what we do. How do we overcome it? 
so that we can, we can gain a hold of and live out God's dream and help others do that, right? And so being able to not only read and look at scripture throughout, we started with it, I wanna end with one of my favorite passages that I think we get to see a model from Jesus of how this is done. And hopefully we can pray that his spirit empowers us to follow in his footsteps in doing the same in our lives. So this is the story of Jesus and the Samaritan woman, all right, in John chapter four. So it says, now Jesus had learned that the Pharisees um, had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. Although in fact, it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. So he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Catch this verse here, verse four. Now he had to go through Samaria. And maybe, you know, if you haven't given any thought to this already, ask yourself and maybe write in the margins, why did Jesus have to go through Samaria? <laughs> and I think we see it later on in here, right? So continuing. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sakar, uh, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. In our day, that would be, a lot of people would think whites don't associate it with blacks, right? We kind of stay in our own clique groups. We stay in our own communities and we just let live. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, Give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, go, call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus replied to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you have had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you've just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshiped on this mountain, but the Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet, a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. Just then his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with the woman. But no one asked, what do you want? Or why are you talking with her? She's a woman, right? Samaritan woman to that. Then leaving her, jar, her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come, see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? 
right? And we know as that continues that this ends up being you know, a, a great evangelist for the kingdom and so many other people come to believe and to find that same joy that that woman shared because of this, right? And we can do the same, I think, if we handle those awkward conversations much in the same fashion that Jesus did there, right? That we're able to be truthful with people, but we, we speak the truth in love and with gentleness. And then also that ultimately, if the answer is going to come, the answer is always Jesus. It's not any of our programs. It's not any of our movements or things like that. It's always going to be pointing them to Jesus and to the hope that we find in him. Thank you guys uh, for listening. Um, got off track a couple times a little bit, but I hope that God's word and his truth was able to shine through and continue to shine through in our hearts to light the way. I'm going to pray and then we'll be done. Father, thank you so much um, for your wonderful unending love and thank you for your truth god that that runs parallel to that um, in our world and in our lives helping us to understand um, god not only how much you are for us and how much you desire for us but being able to light that path and guide the way to help us along it so that we can live it out god thank you for your dream to see people healed to see people transformed to see them saved and to see them worshiping you together with people, even as, uh, as different as they can come, from them, all glorifying you now and even into eternity. God, I thank you that that dream that you have uh, includes me and includes all the people in this room. God, help us all to not only recognize um, our, our role and our responsibility to commit our own lives and our own faith to that dream, but also that, to commit to helping others to be able to see that as well. And that walls can continue to be teared down in the same way that Jesus, when he came here, showed in his, his life's mission, his purpose was to dismantle the very, uh, the very walls that are prejudices of our own hearts that we see out in the world. Um, he, he came to dismantle those things. And so help, God, us to lean on your spirit and not on our own wisdom and own strength as we seek to go out and continue the legacy that Jesus started in this world. I pray for more people to come to you, um, and, and God, again, just that our churches will continue to grow, and they will continue to reflect what it is that we read in Scripture that you say is the model that you set for what you want your bride to look like. Father, we love you, and we thank you for loving us first. It's in Jesus' name. Amen.